Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. Today, I've brought some friends with me, as you can see. Uh, two from our Tempe campus, two from our Scottsdale campus, two that are non-staff, two that are either on staff or related to staff, married to staff, to men, to women. And here, here's what I want you to know. I, I could have flown in some of my friends whom you all know to have this conversation, but I didn't want to, and here's why. Because I think many of us have a tendency to think, well, that, that's just on TV. This is just happening in, in Minnesota or New York City or San Francisco. That, that's not happening here. Not only is it happening here, it's happening in the pew you sit in. This is us, and this is what family does. In times like this, we come together, and we talk, and we learn how to love even more. So I'll introduce you to our illustrious panel of amazing people here. We've got Gerard, who's on staff, been on staff for about how long now? Four months. Four months. Four months, all right. Then we've got Donna down in Tempe. Donna, you, you've been down in Tempe how long? 16 years. 16 years. That's what we call devotion and faithfulness. That's incredible. Then we've got Larissa, who many of you have seen lead worship at both campuses. Uh, you guys have been here how long now? Um, I've been here since 2016. Okay, 2016. She's married to one of our staff members, Josh Walsh. Then we've got Mark Strickling down at our Tempe campus. You've been down in Tempe for how long? I've been there for 14 years. I mean, look at this. Long before it was Gateway Church, we got love in the house. I love this. Well, let's, let's go ahead and start. And I want to ask the, basically the same question that God asked man as the first question to humanity. Because I think this is an important place for us to start today. Where are you? How are you feeling in light of everything that's going on around you and us right now? Well, for me, initially, I was just so brokenhearted over the death of George Floyd. Um, I couldn't help but to think, I mean, being a mother of two African-American young men, I said, that could have been my son, you know, who was treated that way. And it just really broke my heart, you know, because the word says that Jesus came to give us life and to have it to the fullest. And for someone to just cut off a life in that way, it's just totally unbelievable and it's just devastating to our whole community you know just like Donna mentioned um, it was heartbreaking to see that especially uh, in our society today uh, you know honestly I thought that looking at that that you know what we're better than this and to still have those type of issues uh, that has uh, occurred in the past today, it's just, it was just unreal. But um, quickly, you know, as I started seeing the protests globally, and of course nationally, um, things look different. Uh, the people who were protesting, they look different. And to me, uh, I felt a sense of uh, optimism. Um, it's something that I have never seen before and truly uh, looking forward to what is going to become of this, hopefully in the positive. 
I'll say for me, uh, let's just say weighted. And a lot of times you say, like, if there's weight on your shoulders, then, then it's bad or you need to get it off. But I won't necessarily say, like, in a bad way. Just more of like a, man, I really want change. I really want something to be done. I really feel this weight on my shoulders to do something. Um, because when everything happened with George Floyd, it was one of the first times that it, it actually like, struck me to the point of tears. Just, I, I don't want to go through this again. I don't, want to, I don't want the same people having to speak up and say these things. I want to do something. God, what can I do? So I think anytime you, there's weight on your shoulders, um, it can strengthen you. It can push you forward. It can, it can help grow you. And I think that's what I feel in this season is happening. So for me, um, more of a push, more of a drive to do more. Yeah, and I think um, this week, there's been so many days where I just start crying because my heart has just been so heavy um, and experiencing so much pain. And it's not just myself, but just seeing so many people go through so much pain. And there's a, there's a um, story in the Bible where it talks about Jesus entering into our pain. And I've just been so comforted. By that, by that scripture, when Jesus, when Lazarus died, and they were upset with Jesus because he didn't heal him right away before he died. And there's a verse, there's a scripture that says Jesus wept. And that is so comforting for me to know that Jesus enters into that pain with us, and he is with us. And seeing just God, Emmanuel, God with us, just that came more to life for me this week and for so many people. One of the things I love that I'm hearing, Donna, you said it so well, because I think um, it, it's, it's easy for us to look at this as a black-white issue, and it's so much more than that. This is not just about equality. And as the church, we all need to remember, this is not just about being treated fairly or equally. Donna hit the nail on the head. Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. And what we're seeing on our earth is people not being allowed to experience that abundant life. And, and so it's not, this is not a political issue. This is a spiritual issue. And the church has got to be the one out at the forefront saying, this is not just about voting rights or the way you're pulled over compared to me being pulled over. This is about, are you able to have a shot at the abundant life Jesus died to give you? So we, we have got to understand that's at the core of this. For the church, this needs to be part of our why. I've got to be bothered. Here's what I feel for our church, for me, for my family. Until you are treated the way I myself want to be treated, I can't stop until you are. Because we all are given a shot to live that abundant life. So more must be done because we're not close, right? So one of the things that I hear, uh, and I know you're all hearing it, is related to the phrase Black Lives Matter. And there's some misunderstanding. Some see it uh, as a movement. Some see it as a mantra. Some see it as uh, a political engine, okay? When you hear the phrase Black Lives Matter, what do you immediately think? Well, I'd like to give an illustration I heard. It's like if you can imagine an umbrella, and all of God's children are under that umbrella. We hear a lot of 
conversation about um, right to life and, you know, with the newborn, uh, against abortion, you know, so forth. So you're supporting life inside the womb. But once that life comes out, then does it no longer have that value? Are we no longer a human, you know? So you have Black Lives Matter, you have all the other lives, like they say, all lives matter. But if all of these lives are under the umbrella, then why is the Black Lives not important? Uh, for me, when I used to hear the term, especially, you know, when it started to kind of become a thing and I was a little bit younger, I would get kind of frustrated because I only ever saw it as like this anger and frustration and you need to be aware that like we matter. And and um, growing up, I grew up just being loved by so many different people. I was like, well, let's, the all lives, you know, all lives matter. We should, but what I began to learn in, in just watching the way even God loves through people, um, is that it's the same as if we're all in a family and Larissa breaks her leg, right? Does that mean because she needs more attention in the moment, none of us matter? No, no, no. Larissa needs a bit more attention because she's in a, in a harder spot than we are. And that's what that term means. Now, was it birthed out of frustration and anger? 100%. But it's to bring awareness that there's somebody or even a group of people who are getting a little bit less than in need care that some of us are not getting. So, yeah, I think that that's a great point. Um, and I would say like, like you, Gerard, I, like when I first would hear that, it sometimes would get, fr I would get frustrated, but that's obviously my first initial response. And that, that's, that wasn't myself being yielded to the Lord. And the more I thought about it, it was more like this, the Mago day, like we're all made in the image of God. Black lives are made in the image of God. And that's just, that's the phrase that now comes to my mind when black lives, when I see black lives matter, I think of Imago Day. You know, and when I see it, I'm seeing the statement that we are all vital. We are all important to God's creation. That he has so many different people on this planet. The only thing we're just saying is that we're here with you. Understand that. Understand that we are a people, human beings just like you are, and that our, our God-given right, we want to uh, promote that. We want to, for others to engage with us and to live a life that is meaningful. And that's all we're saying. We matter. Black lives do matter. Yeah, I think one of the things that I, I see is there are those, and probably many, who think if they say black lives matter, it is at the exclusion of others. I think the actual human problem, okay, again, this is not just a black-white problem. This is a problem of humanity, and it's this, I don't matter. The average person on the earth does not understand just how much they matter. Even believers, they don't fully, they have not grasped the revelation of their value, that Jesus would have died for them if if they were the only one, that, that they matter, they will spend the rest of eternity getting to understand just how much they matter. But I think because the average person deep down doesn't believe that they matter, it's difficult for them to say someone else matters because then they're reaffirming their secret personal narrative. I don't think I matter that much. So, so I want you to remember if you're someone that when you hear the phrase black lives matter and you respond with no all lives matter. I just ask you to, to remember something. 
No one is saying only Black Lives Matter. No one is. What we're saying is, right now, someone has called 911 and their house is on fire. And they're asking for help to put out the fire. Would it be wise if you were the person, the dispatcher for 911, to respond and say, I'm sorry, all houses matter. We can't come and help you with your fire because all houses matter. Good luck with that. And in a sense, that's, that's what we've done for a long time, me included, where I, I've had a tendency to say, well, I, every, every house, no, no, no. Yes, every house matters. And until every black life matters, I can't be fully confident that every life actually matters, my kids included. So I think it's just important to take the enemy's hand on that phrase. Here's how I see black lives matter. That's a phrase from the heart of God. And that might start a fight with some. But don't you think that's how God talks? Don't you think God says, black lives matter to me? Because to your point, they were made in his image. White lives matter to me. Brown lives matter to me. He says it all. But right now, we have a problem where they haven't mattered as much. And so there's some correction that we're seeing being done. When we talk about the black lives matter, and it, it brings up communication. And I think one of the things that we see that I'm a little concerned with is there, there is a fear of misspeaking right now that I don't know I've, I've ever seen before in my lifetime. With this cancel culture that we've got going, everyone is so afraid to open their mouths because they, they don't wanna you know, make it worse or get in trouble. How, how would you speak to someone like me, okay, in my shoes, who wants to use their voice, but maybe a little bit afraid that they might misspeak? How would you encourage someone like that? What I would do is encourage um, an individual to speak from the heart. Um, a lot of times, I think people are apprehensive to speak is because they really don't know what's in their heart. And they feel that if they speak in that way, that something may be uncovered. Well, you know, well, what can I do about that, Mark? You know, well, what you can do is find friends um, who don't look like you and talk to them about it. And that way, just as a family, when you speak to your family and there are certain issues and things of that nature going on, pretty much your family's gonna tell you if you're in the right mode. And that's all that I think that people are trying to do is figure out and process, where am I in this? Am I in the right mode? Yeah. I think about any, anybody that you're close with, six months, three months, a whole year, and you see the different sides of this person, right? Um, if you were to say something to me in the midst of frustration that you knew would hurt me, but we're close, even on the other side of it, if I love you, right? I understand where you're coming from. Let's take the time to talk through this. I'm not gonna hold that offense against you because what we have relationally and what we've built together is far more important than a moment of frustration or confusion. And I think that's what's missed so much, is this understanding that if we are actually building healthy relationships, if we're actually trying to be people unified and together, it takes us seeing our ugly sides and loving you in grace anyway. It's that example that Jesus gives with us. No matter what we've been through, no matter what we go through, he loves us enough anyway. Does that mean that because you said something wrong, we act like it just, no, that just never happened. We don't, 
No, let's address it. That may have been a wrong way of thinking, or that may be something we can work through, but let's do it together, right? Because that kind of love is genuine and it's true and it goes beyond just um, a moment, right? It goes beyond just this one time or this one moment. So for me, like in these times, if, if we are really gonna be there for each other, let's be willing, one, to speak through processing, but also to be willing to receive each other as we are. It goes both ways. And I think that's what really shows love and that's what builds it. I mean, I don't care if you don't understand, you know what I mean? I care if you're, you're willing to be here for me. Nothing matters more than that, so. I, I think in my marriage, it would be like if Holly said something to me that I didn't like and I just said, that's it, we're divorced. That's it, you misspoke, I'm, I'm done with you. Like, I, I can't handle you anymore. If, we're, we're all laughing because it, it, that's silly, right? And yet, we're all seeing that. We are seeing people get up from the relational table, even in the church, just because someone misspeaks. Every word I, I say right now, I, I have never felt more watched with every word that I speak right now. And I'm not going to let the enemy silence me because I'm afraid someone might mistake something I said to everyone's point. Family works through that stuff. Even if, 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 if I was wrong, let's work through it. We stay committed. We don't divorce over misspeaking. Well, I think too that um, when you're speaking with someone, whether it's racism or whatever, but there has to be a point of holding the person accountable. You know, we have to, we have to speak the truth in love. But at the same time, if you hear someone like in your circle of friends who are talking about something that's racist or prejudiced, then we have a responsibility to call them out on that and let them know, you know, that this is not right and, or even ask them, why do you feel that way? You know, because there's just so much going on right now. We have to have those conversations. It's such a great point because there's a difference between choosing the wrong word and dishonoring God with my speech. And that's really good because I, I think, I, I don't think everyone is dishonoring God. I definitely, and those who are, we've got to call them out. But there's a big difference between me reaching for one word, using the wrong word with a pure heart and me in an impure heart attacking or emboldening a, a demonic spirit of racism on the earth. You know, and that, that's where, if that's a blind spot, and some people have a blind spot as it relates to prejudice. What do we need from our family when we have a blind spot? What does family do? Hey, point it out to me. Yeah, don't let me keep stumbling over an unnecessary obstacle. Point it out. If you love me, tell me. So it, as we kind of segue, I, I want to ask, this is, this is a little bit of um, a, a loaded question. I know all of them are. Um, but th this isn't just a discussion. This, this, what we're talking about is reality. And we all need to understand the depth of what is actually going on presently and what has been going on for hundreds of years in this nation. So I want to ask, and, and if you don't feel comfortable answering it, you don't have to answer it. Um, but as a black man, as a black woman, what are you most afraid of? Right now, on the earth, in this season of your life, what are you most afraid of? You know, I'll, I'll go ahead and talk, speak to that. Um, and it kind of goes back to what I had shared earlier. 
um, being insignificant. I think that we don't count um, an individual that is looked less upon when again it goes back to we are all God's creation. Um, and I believe that when we all meet our maker, he will ask the question, how did you treat my creation? And with that, we will actually have to, through introspection, think about how did I treat my fellow brother and sister? Did I treat them as I do my other brothers and sisters? Did I treat them as Christ, as Christ loved the church? And with that, I just think that God is all loving and kind, that if we could embrace him as he is with others as a people, then we can actually move the needle forward in humanity. Things right now are just so, um, it's kind of bland. It's kind of um, in a state to where, you know, am I significant to you or do you just look at me as a color? I mean, there are many colors in a crayon box, but each crayon is significant and each crayon has its beauty. And I think as a, a human society, as a human race, let's understand each other's beauty in the society and collectively come together so that way we can actually do good in this world and not evil. For me, I think um, the thing that I would be most afraid of is that the kingdom of God would be negatively impacted based on what's going on right now. Because if you think about all those who are not walking with the Lord, who don't know the Lord as their savior, and when they look at the world, when they look at Christians, people who profess to be Christians, and they're behaving in a way that is so contradictory to how Jesus taught we should behave, then they would say, I want to have nothing to do with the church. I don't want to have anything to do with this Jesus if that's how his people react and behave. That's the thing that would really just hurt my heart, that people are turning away from God because of how the church responds and how Christians are showing how they're acting. I think something that really stands out um, with what the two of you just said, and, and it, it, it is a little overwhelming for me to try and wrap my mind around because I think there are those who would say, I'm afraid of being pulled over. I'm afraid of not having the same opportunities. And all of those things matter, and they are true, unfortunately, right now. But the kingdom perspective to say, here's what I'm most afraid of. And that, I think, is what we need in the church now more than ever, is to say, it's not just about me. This is about the kingdom of God. I'm a child of God. And when I think about what Mark said, the number one thing I'm afraid of is not mattering. I mean, I just imagine how God hears that. It'd be like one of my kids saying, Daddy, my, my biggest fear is I wouldn't matter to you. And to your point, you're, you're saying we're, we're to reflect the love of God. And in essence, if we don't walk it the right way, we're sending the message you don't matter to the God of the universe. I mean, this is, this, is, this is the church's responsibility, the divine responsibility to bridge this gap. Gerard, when you think about 
this? What are, what are you, what's your biggest concern? I'm, uh, I'm getting emotional right now thinking about this because I think my biggest, my biggest fear is um, our natural pursuit of comfort and power. And um, taking the time just to, to, to try to listen more than I talk and, and, and get different perspectives because I don't, I don't know a lot. You know, I don't know a lot. I didn't know a lot about the history, even in this last week, and I, I, I have now just trying to learn, trying to be a listener. And the more we talked about it and the more we listened in on stuff, I just kept saying, as much as color is playing a part in this, it is so much deeper looking at what happens when we have power and we seek comfort. We are willing to diminish who people are so that we can continue to feel comfortable and continue to gain power. And as a church, if we miss that it's, that is the, the, the real struggle here, that's the real problem here, what's gonna happen is we'll just reverse roles. And in, in a few hundred years, we'll be back here, it'll just be different colors having the same conversation. And I think that breaks my heart. Like I, even in this moment, I am, I'm broken down thinking about us going through this again, putting a new generation of people through pain and struggle simply so that we can feel comfortable and we can gain power. When simply if we give ourselves to God, we have all that we need and we can have the love that he, he gives to us and we can give to one another. So I think that scares me so much. Yeah, Gerard, one of the things you're really pointing at is a facet of the brokenness of humanity. There is an insecurity in anyone who doesn't fully grasp the love of God for themselves. There is an insecurity. And the way the world seems to um, try and send the opposite message to themselves is to have people beneath them, whether that's in the workplace. And so if, if I'm the CEO, I walk around like, I'm, I'm better than everybody else, which is just another way to see indenturedness. You're all here to work for me. There's an insecurity in me. And so I look at you and go, see how I, I but it really, the deeper issue is I'm insecure about me. And the only way I feel that I'm not who I think I am is to have people beneath me. And so because we're not willing to wrestle with that insecurity and find what would cause us to feel the security of the love of God, we continue and perpetuate the system. Larissa, how about you? Um, I think that one of the biggest things that I'm afraid about is having a hardened heart and those and people going and seeking justice, but having a hardened heart. Um, and I think that there's a difference between our worldly justice and biblical justice and the only way, the only solution that I see is knowing who God is, knowing scripture, going back to what does the Bible say about this? And for, and my biggest fear is as Christians, like you're saying, forgetting scripture. What is, what are we as Christians supposed to look like? What are we, how are we supposed to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven? What does that look like? And so that's, that's probably like my, that's been my biggest prayer point. That is my biggest fear is having a hardened heart. Mark touched on, on this next question just a little bit, but uh, I think a lot of people will use the phrase thinking rightly. It's the right phrase to speak. Uh, I'm colorblind. 
I don't see color. God doesn't see color. Uh, I'm kind of setting this up on a tee for you all. Uh, but when you hear that phrase, and, and it could come from a very pure heart, because I think many who say that are just saying, I don't see the disparity between the two. But when you hear the phrase, I don't see color, what do you think? How do you respond to that? I would ask, why do people keep making TVs that make color better? Why do we keep making TVs with better pixels that show better color and make everything so vibrant? Because clearly when color is involved, things are more beautiful, right? Nobody here is like, man, you know, I just really wish I had my black and white TV because, you know what I mean? I just like the picture better when everything's grayish and can't really see details. You see, if color doesn't matter, then what we see wouldn't matter so much. Color clearly matters, so what we see clearly matters. And when we see colors together, it's beautiful, right? It brings together a kaleidoscope of, of beauty, right? And that is the same thing that happens in culture. I don't ever want to say I don't see color because how you've lived your life, Preston, and how Larissa's lived her life, and how I live my life are all different. But in finding the beauty of who God is in each of these cultures and using that to love one another, right, shows a, a, a more beautiful, more full picture of who God is in the way that he loves us. So I love the thought of, hey, I don't see color as a form of, I, I don't judge you based off of, you know, whatever this looks like or whatever your past looks like. No, thank you. But I hope you can accept what I've been through, right, and the circumstances I've seen and the way maybe I was raised up to love, right? Because as we begin to grow together, we make something far more beautiful. So. I think the only person that doesn't see color are children. <laughs> because if you go to any preschool, any, you go into children's ministry, you see the black kids, the brown kids, the yellow kids, all the kids are playing, they're loving on each other, they're hugging. So they don't see color, but the color difference it's taught, you know, as the kids go older, they learn from their environment. They learn from what their parents think and what they say. So God has made all of us in his image. So it's our heart and our mind, our character is what people should really be looking at and not just the outer shell of our color. I like how you talked about it, Gerard, with, um, I was just thinking like, if you don't see color, then you're not really seeing clearly you know, and um, it's, you're seeing clearly with the color and going back to that childlike, you know, faith of like, you know what, like, I'm going to see clearly eyes wide open, but kind of have this innocence about going and learning from my friends, learning from all different backgrounds. And so when I hear I don't see color and just knowing what my life has looked like, what my family looks like, it's beautiful, you know, and having those different elements, those two colors coming together, like the crayons you're talking about, the blue and the red making purple, you know? So that's just like, that's what I think about is you see clearly when you see color. And um, I think an individual, you know, saying that, um, they're just trying to say that I don't see anything outside of yourself, meaning that I see you as myself. If I say I don't see color, I'm just saying to you, I'm trying to process, I'm trying to say that 
you know, we're equal, I think is what people are trying to say when they see that. But then when they say it, they're actually missing the point because to see color, kind of like all of you've shared, you know, I like to relate it to um, spices, that um, if you only use salt on everything, well, you're cheating yourself of an experience. But when you are able to gather all various times of spices and so forth, I mean, the meal becomes so much better. And to see color is to see experience, to see something outside of your own comfort zone. It's to see God, really, because he made us all. And wouldn't it be such a bland world if it was just one color? No. I was about to start shouting you down there, Mark, because my, my favorite spice is crushed red pepper. I love, I love that spice. And then I like Thai food, and I like Indian food, and I started thinking, oh, what would my life be like without all of these? If I just had to eat bread every day, this would not be, of course, the bread of, of Scripture. The, don't get all spiritual on me now, okay? Now is not that time. I, I just think about it like this. Baskin-Robbins, what kind of business model would they have if they only sold vanilla? There's a, what did Baskin-Robbins, and the, the millennials are like, what, what, what is he talking about? It's an ice cream shop, okay? And what, were they, what was their mantra? What were they known for? 31 flavors, right? And, and imagine if you worked at Baskin-Robbins, would, would you only par partake of one flavor every day as your ice cream? No, Gerard, sometimes you go in there and that Lucky Charms ice cream, which sounds disgusting to me, you, you would throw down because of those marshmallows. I tear it up. I mean, 31 flavors. Every month, I'm, I'm trying something new. There is beauty in variety. See, we hear the word diversity a lot, and I think it's a word the enemy has tried to make his own, but it's actually variety. There is beauty in variety. See, one of the things, I, I love the word diversity, but it sounds a lot like division. D diversity, division. I love the word variety. It, it gets the same point across. We, we are different, Okay but we can't act different. We can't be treated differently. We need to respect the beauty of variety, to celebrate. I don't eat the same thing every day. Why? Because I value variety. And the God's honest truth is, every single one of you watching this, whether you realize it or not, you already understand the beauty of variety. Because if I followed you around for, for a month, I guarantee you, you would not eat the same meal 90 times. You already love variety. We just need to be reminded. We got to apply that to every area of our lives. All right. One, one last question, and it's kind of a two-part question. All right. Uh, we have seen things like this before. Um, we have seen black men murdered. Uh, we've seen black women murdered. Uh, in the last month, we have seen multiple instances of this. Here's, here's the question. Is this time different? Is there something God is doing this time that is different? And if so, what do we do to change to make sure it is different? That we don't need a hundred more deaths on the streets, a hundred more visuals of a black man beneath a white man's knee losing the oxygen in his lungs. Is this time different? Because it feels a little different to me and I pray that it is. And if so, what must change to make sure we never go back? You know, um, 
it is different. Um, you know, in retrospect, thinking about watching uh, through social media and the media, the protests. Um, at one time, if you reflect back, it was just typically one color protesting with a sprinkle of a few people. But this time, it's the actual entire globe protesting. I mean, all 50 states, several countries participating um, in this protest to say, enough is enough, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of injustice. And I want to see a world where everyone is tr treated equally, because we are created equal. I wanna see a world that everyone is treated equal. And another thing that's different is that you see a lot of individuals asking questions, what can I do? I have a lot of friends texting, calling me, saying, you know, Mark, um, you know, I'm reading books now. Um, I'm watching podcasts. You know, I want to know how I could be most effective in this change. And I'm trying. I may not know all the answers, but I'm trying. And that's something different. I've never seen any other culture come to us as a people and say, what can I do? Before it was just glossed over, but now the entire world is saying, what can I do? What must be done in order for this positive change to occur? I mean, I'd love to, to piggyback off of that. Now, again, I'm a millennial, so I didn't, I didn't get to see um, some of the other things that have happened. I only you know, can go through what's provided from history, but to what you're saying, one of the first things I said when this protesting started was the variety of people, right? Like just how different this is, the questions being asked. Um, I'm not the like biggest social media person, but what you're seeing even on social media is all of the different kinds of people who are opening up and, and being, being forward about uh, being against this. And I think even what we've seen with COVID happening, and we've all kind of talked about this a little bit, just like, it seems like a setup for change. It just seemed like this preparation for an adjustment. Um, and if we are really gonna see it now, it's, it's seeming like it's w racism is being used as a way for us to get to the root of our problems. And I think that's what's different. This isn't just let's adjust racism, it's hey, let's change a problem. There is a global problem that is bigger than racism. Racism is the doorway, right, or the vehicle that's being used for this change. And I think that is what I see as different. And is honestly, with all the pain that is coming with this, there's a lot of hopefulness from that. I think it's different because it seems like deaths of black Americans have been just back to back to back before, you know, maybe one or two or a year or something like that. But within the short term, you know, we've had so many and people are just fed up. It's like, we can't deal with this anymore. You know, so I believe, you know, the church is gonna have to take a, a stand, you know, they've been silent in the past, but to really be outspoken about it, the injustice that's going on, you know, everybody has to listen more to people who are being oppressed, show some empathy, some compassion, and then be willing to learn what can be done to make these situations better, and then to take leadership for it, you know, in the communities. 
Yeah, definitely. This is very different. Um, like you're saying, I think that everyone is wanting justice to be served and I, and I'm seeing so much. And as a millennial, I'm seeing my generation, they're, they're hungry for truth. They're hungry for what's right. And I'm seeing that so much rising up in so many people. And like you're saying, people are asking questions like, what can I do? What do I need to do? And what I'm seeing is people are fed up with generational curses. People are fed up with, this has happened in my lifetime, it stops with me. And so they're being active and moving forward. Like, I'm going to change it. I'm going to be part of it. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to get uncomfortable. Um, and so just, just they're hungry for that truth. They're hungry for that change to happen and see it in their lifetime. Yeah, it's, it's so great. I, I pray that this is different. I, I really do. It's one of my biggest prayers. Lord, please let this be different. And by this, I don't mean the murder of George Floyd. I mean, let this day be different than any other day. Let this be different. Let this day that we find ourselves in be different, God, and do what must be done to ensure that it's different. I, I, out of curiosity, I just wonder if one of the reasons it may be different is because of the COVID crisis, where people were so separated from one another. I've never felt more separated from the people I love in my whole life. And I, I wonder if many of us around the world didn't learn the power of the people in our lives and how much we need them to the point that now it seems like when we see the, the protests right now, it's not just one race. It, it, it is not just one color. I see a bunch of people going, ho, ho, I, I, I've learned the power. I, I went into timeout. God put me in timeout for 90 days and I learned the power of the people in my life, and you will not treat anybody I love like that. And I, I've been quiet in the past, but after the last 90 days of this time out, I will never go back to that, because I can't live in isolation. I need people, and I need people who look different than me. I, I, I want that variety. Diversity isn't a bad word. No, we, we just have to understand what it actually means. Variety, the beauty of variety. And I just pray that it is different. Next week, uh, I'm continuing our series, and the title of this message is The Burning Bush of Injustice. Because I, I think as believers, we forget that one of the facets of who God is, is he is just. We talk about him being love, and we talk about him being omniscient and omnipresent, but I wonder, and I've had to answer this question personally, have I forgotten that God is just? And when I remember that he's just, I cannot, as one of his children, ever be okay with injustice. And I pray that this last two weeks in our country has served as a burning bush in regards to injustice to say, I've, seen, I've walked by that bush so many times before, but today it was on fire. And I'm never going to see that bush again. And the bush isn't a person or people. It's a problem. God lit the bush on fire and he said, it's time. It's time. And so I pray that we all, and listen to me, some of you might be watching this and you may be one of the police officers in our church and, and you might be kind of just, just a little bit on edge and going, well, what about the other side? Listen to me. We're on the same side. No one is saying that all police officers are bad. Okay, please hear me. No one is saying that. None of you are saying that, right? 
No one's saying that. It would be the equivalent of looking at a, a husband who abuses his wife and saying all husbands are bad. No, there are wonderful husbands out there, and there are wonderful police officers in our church and in our community. It, it doesn't make them all bad. Here's what we need to remember. We're not on a blue side, a black side, a white side. We've got to be on God's side. We have got to be on God's side. And so, as for me and my house, and this isn't my house, this is God's house, but we're going to push that agenda on the earth more than ever before. Because until everyone God loves and everyone for whom Jesus died is treated the way I want to be treated, we can't stop until that's our reality. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to address uh, one particular type of person and then I want to speak to one other. First, if as we've been having this conversation, one of the things I really felt the Holy Spirit honing in on was this fear of not being seen or loved. And if you're watching this right now and that's what you feel and you don't know Jesus, and you find yourself saying, I, I just want to be loved. I want to be seen. I want to tell you something. Jesus came to this earth. He left all of his divine benefits as the son of God in heaven. He left all of that to come to earth to die for you. His way of saying, not only do I see you, but I am obsessed with you, was to lay his life down for yours. And if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus and you'd say, I, I, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be known. I want to be seen. Can I just tell you something? It's one thing to be seen and heard and noticed and loved by man. It's an entirely different thing to be seen and known and heard and loved by the God of the universe. So if that's you, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to know God as your father, and if you want to accept what Jesus did for you, the ultimate act of love, if that's you, with your head bowed, your eyes closed, I just want you to repeat this very simple prayer after me. Dear God, I want to know you. I want to belong to you. I believe Jesus is your son. And I believe Jesus came to die for me. God, will you forgive me of all of the wrong and bad things I've done? I receive you, Jesus, into my heart today. And I am going to live differently from here on out. Jesus, will you love me forever? Amen. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, there's one other person I want to speak to. If you're hurting in pain as a result of everything that's going on, the conversations you hear, the harsh words maybe you've received, the looks of judgment, 
whatever the reason for your pain. Maybe it doesn't even have anything to do with what's going on in the earth right now. Pain is pain. And I just sense the Holy Spirit say, I want to heal some hurt today. So if that's you, if you're hurting, with every head bowed, every eye closed, whether you're watching this alone or watching it with someone else, I want you just to put your hands out in front of you so as to send the message to God that you're ready to receive a gift he would love to give you right now. Just put them out. I want you just to let the Holy Spirit in this moment wash over you. Touch the points of pain in your life. No matter where they came from, no matter who's responsible for them. Let your God, your healer, in to do something about your pain. Right here, right now. Holy Spirit, I pray for every person feeling pain right now. I pray you'd touch them supernaturally, that you would heal their pain, that you'd restore the joy. Holy Spirit, we need you. We all do. We always have and we always will. But especially in the midst of pain, we need your loving touch. So would you touch every one of us, but especially those who are feeling pain right now? God, would you blanket them with your divine healing salve? Touch every heart, heal every pain. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.